Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. I don't know if you are aware of this. It might not look like it's the case, but spring is on the way. And I got a little sunshine. I don't know if you can notice or not. But maybe a little bit too much sunshine. I came home red because I was out hiking and it was beautiful. This was Friday and I just stayed out hiking. And all I had was a thick wool beanie and I couldn't, I couldn't be having that on. So, you know, a little sunshine. I killed a mosquito on my hike. And I just had this thought, what if we all banded together? And each of us killed 10 mosquitoes for every member of our family. If we could get everybody in Alaska to do this, do you think we could cause mosquitoes to go extinct? We've caused other animals to go extinct. What about mosquitoes? So it's just something to think about as you see those first few mosquitoes. There's only one case in which I encourage murder. As a church, uh, we have started this conversation last week uh, around this idea that says there's a significant amount of evidence for God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures through creation, through our understanding of reality. There is this significant amount of evidence And because of that significant evidence, it compels us to struggle with some of the difficult pieces of faith, such as, you know, why does, how can a loving God allow evil and suffering? That is a very difficult question. That keeps many people away from coming to a place of faith. But... We're saying that there is such a significant amount of evidence here that it is worth struggling with those difficult pieces. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the big idea that we are uh, chasing as a, uh, as a church over the next few weeks. So... <clears throat> I don't know how many of you know who Augustine is. Augustine of Hippo, anybody? <laughs> we call Augustine a church father, and that is because he uh, was one of the leaders of the church very early on, uh, somewhere in the third century. Uh, Augustine comes along, and he is this. 
Christian leader and theologian. He is uh, a prolific writer, philosopher, uh, theologian. And one of the things that he warned the church about in his day was that the church should be very, very careful when it went to interpret Genesis and specifically the creation account and when it attempted to explain how things have come to be in terms of the details. And he actually uses this word to describe a group of people that were present in his day. He uses the word science. And he encourages the church to be very careful not to dismiss what scientists are saying because of something that scripture says. So this is somebody that is widely quoted as an authority, a church authority by Protestants, Catholics, uh, Eastern Orthodox. If you want to sort of make your case for something and you need a little bit of extra weight, you go back and you see what Augustine says. Isn't it interesting that Augustine made this statement about the relationship between faith and science that early on? He made a variety of statements. You can Google Augustine's statements about science, and you'll get a list and get a bunch of different perspectives. Well, the church should be very careful about how we approach this because Genesis 1, 2, 3, really all the way to like 9 is really pretty vague. There are so many questions that we would love to have answered. There are so many things that we would like to go back and be able to ask people like Noah and Adam and Seth and Enoch. Uh, hmm. The Bible says this, but, whoa, how did that happen? What went on there? And so we're just encouraged, and that's kind of what Augustine is saying is, let's be very careful. Let's not shut down the pursuit of truth because we think we know something. He also is very clear about realizing that regardless of what explanation somebody came up for, for something to, you know, a process, regardless of how well a process became identified, that the Christian church ought to remember that there is somebody behind that process. There is somebody who is the source of all processes. So maybe you've heard of somebody by the name of Charles Darwin. Anybody? Why is it that we know more? More of you know who Charles Darwin is. Charles Darwin is than those who know who Augustine is. I'm not trying to convict you. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. So Charles Darwin comes along and he is a naturalist. A naturalist is somebody who says there is a cause for everything that happens 
within the natural world, there is a discernible answer to all of the questions we have about um, reality. Charles Darwin comes along and um, promotes this theory of evolution. Starts as a hypothesis and then uh, people start studying it and it sort of turns into a theory. And uh, many people think it's, they now call it the law of evolution. There was a six-year-old girl who went and asked uh, her mom where people came from. And her mom explained that back in the day, God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had children, and people just kept having children, and here we are. And she thought, interesting. Just to check things, she went and asked her dad, and asked, where did, where did we come from? And her dad explained that, well, um, long ago, uh, monkeys started changing a little bit, and over time, turned into human beings. Just sort of started changing a little bit at a time and eventually uh, became human beings. The daughter now was confused. And so she went back to, her or back to her mom and said, hey, you said this and dad said this, what's going on? And then her mom explained, well, dad told you about his side of the family and I'm telling you about my side of the family. <clears throat> There has been a raging debate over evolution ever since Darwin presented the idea. But the real debate goes back to this debate about naturalism, whether or not there is something outside of or supernatural, outside of the laws that seem to run the universe that can come into those laws and manipulate those laws? Is there something supernatural that was the source of all of those laws has been the question. Darwin, interestingly enough, as he was promoting his hypothesis and theory, investigating his hypothesis and, and promoting his theory, I'll get the scientific thing right here, okay? As he was doing that, one of the issues that he ran up against was different parts of, of creation, but these things that were very complex, such as the human eyeball. There are hundreds of different systems that need to be operational in order for the human eyeball to be functional to be useful, and to continue on. So there are these, all of these incredible, incredible things that must fit together in order for the eyeball to function. And he, he marveled at this. In fact, he said that it appears to have been designed. But Darwin had a problem because Darwin was a naturalist and he went into his search for truth with the assumption 
that there is nothing outside of the natural order, that miracles are not a possibility, that there is always an explanation for what happens that fits within the laws of nature. And so Darwin promoted evolution at all cost, even though in order for this whole eyeball thing to work, so many different things had to mutate all at the same time and come together all in the same moment in order for the eyeball or anything resembling the eyeball to exist. So people who believe that evolution is correct, they have some difficulties. But Christians who believe in creation, we have some difficulties as well, depending on how we view creation. If we view creation as how we see it, with no possibility of other people's ideas being potentially legitimate, then that is a problem. I don't know if you caught what I just said or not, but when we take an absolutely dogmatic view of this is the only way creation could have happened, we are doing the same thing that the naturalist is doing in their pursuit of truth, where the naturalist says, there is only one way that we end up where we're at, and that is with a naturalistic viewpoint. So that is what Augustine is saying that we have to do. We have to be very careful about how we approach the conversation of the interaction between faith and science. I was sitting in a mechanic shop at some point, I think probably when I was about 25 years old, my vehicle was getting repaired, I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I am watching TV. Uh, this is, um, it was a non-political season, and so uh, political news wasn't on the television, but the Nature Channel was on the television. And I don't spend a lot of time watching the Nature Channel, but when you're sitting there waiting for your vehicle to be repaired, and I think, I, you know, we had cell phones, but it was not a smartphone. So I was not doing this in the waiting room. I was doing the only thing that was entertaining that was available to me, and I was watching this nature show. And the particular thing I was watching was about a sword build, build hummingbird. And as I was watching, the, you know, the British voice that was doing the, uh, you know, the documentary part was explaining that this was an incredibly extraordinary bird, that this bird had a beak that was longer than its body and that allowed it to um, get at the nectar of a particular flower. 
And this was, it happened to be the only bird that could get at the nectar of this flower. And it just so happened that this flower was highly dependent upon being germinated by this particular bird. There's only one way that that passion flower, I think it's called, was going to get germinated, and there was only one way that that hummingbird was going to get fed. And that made me think, hmm, how would it be possible for those two things to evolve just slowly over time? I started thinking through the complexities of what it would take for it to evolve slowly over time so that there was this absolutely perfect match between the bird and the flower. And I started thinking, I think there's something to this. I think that they would have had to be designed in order to make that happen. It's possible to come to a different conclusion. It's possible to say this bird mutated in significant ways at the exact same time that the flower mutated in significant ways. It is possible. And we must always say, yes, it is possible, right? It's also possible that you right now are not a real person. You're sitting on a shelf somewhere in a jar and you just think, all of this is happening, right? That is a possibility. I actually have no way of proving to you completely and absolutely that that's not what's happening. So I said it was a possibility, but not a probability. The other thing I thought was, let's say evolution did happen. It, doesn't, it still doesn't answer who started you know, who flipped the switch on evolution? Who created the laws of evolution? Who created the laws of the universe? And so wouldn't it be amazing if God used the evolutionary process to get us to where we are at? And that is just part of God overwhelming us with with him, with how marvelous he is. And I don't think that's how it occurred. My personal view is that there was a moment when God said, let there be, and there was. Well, C.S. Lewis writes a book called Miracles, and C.S. Lewis, by the way, is this um, very widely well-respected um, Christian apologist, somebody who defends Christianity. Interesting about C.S. Lewis is that he started off as, a, um, as an atheist. And over the course of his life, over the course of his studies, his own search for truth came to a conclusion that Christianity was the best explanation of what was going on in our universe. And so he writes this book, 
miracles to try to persuade his naturalistic friends that there is another explanation. There is the possibility of something supernatural outside of our uh, ability to discern reality. Uh, possibly that's something that you would look into if you have a, if you yourself or if you have a friend that uh, struggles with the idea of miracles, the idea of supernatural interaction with us. Maybe you're thinking, are we going to stop talking about evolution at some point and start talking about the Bible? Because I thought I came to church and I was really hoping for some, like some spiritual input today. So uh, let's go to Psalm 19 and see where that gets us. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It, bur it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. David uh, I think is an outdoors guy. Uh, he was a shepherd. Spent a lot of time outdoors. And apparently became quite impressed by the sun. Um, outdoors people these days are impressed by the sun as well. There's a whole group of people that are devoted just to the study of the sun because the sun is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, going to Google some fun facts like I did about the sun, you'll find that it uh, possesses like almost 99% of the mass in our uh, galaxy, in our solar system, sorry. It takes eight minutes for light to move from the sun to the earth. But it's traveling at... Uh, I don't know, the speed of light? So we're a significant distance from the sun. I think you can fit like 1.3 million Earths inside of the sun. Every millisecond, it's like 15 million nuclear bombs going off, like the equivalent of Hiroshima, something like that. Just all this cool stuff about the sun. And the heat and the light of the sun reach us in just this perfect way. So that on Friday, I'm feeling so good about life that I just soak in the sun. I overdo it. It was amazing. So David is having this kind of experience. David is having this, you know, sort of relationship with the sun like that in this moment. This is incredible. Now look where he goes. You've probably heard that section of Psalm 19. Well, let's see what happens next. The instructions 
of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. What? How does David go from God is extraordinary in creation? Look at all he has done. Just consider this one small piece, well, not small, but one piece of creation, the sun. Just consider that. It is extraordinary. He goes from that to the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. What is the connection? The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. I think... David is saying there's a significant connection between the way that God is revealing himself to us and the way that we ought to respond. I think David is saying all of this creation bit, this is all an invitation for us to understand the beauty, the perfection, the generosity of the great lawgiver. All of this in creation, all of this beauty, it's all an invitation to live in the way that God has called us to live. All of this that we see, the northern lights, the mountainscapes, everything that we enjoy, it is all intended to bring us to a place of worship and appreciation and love so there is a significant connection between this study of our reality, this study of our universe, this study of our experience on earth, study of creation, study of human relationships. There's a significant connection between those things and what God is calling us to do. Romans 2, 14 through 16 says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know this law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim to you, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Another thing that C.S. Lewis brought forward is this idea as one of the most significant, if not the most significant evidence for God is the fact that each one of us has a sense of what is right and what is wrong. Each one of us sees all that God has done in the universe and we know that there is a way to respond to that, There is an appropriate way to respond to all that God has given. David says his law is perfect, trustworthy, right, clear, pure, true, desirable, highly valuable, sweet, 
This morning, I ran out of maple syrup. I, uh, I like maple syrup on my oatmeal. And I was a little bit in a hurry this morning, but I was, it was like the last bit. And so I was having to let it drip, drip, drip slowly while I was in a hurry. I need to eat my oatmeal quick. And I have this little thing that I do because of the way that the maple syrup bottle, does anybody buy maple syrup from Costco? Okay. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but at the end, there's like this little catch. It's like the gullet on a bird or something. I don't even know why it's there. But it's like impossible to get the maple syrup out. The only way to do it is to get your tongue up in there. (laughs) So there I was. And I was thinking... This is, this is kind of like the, the thing that David is calling us to, right? Honey, right off the comb. That's what he is inviting us to understand about the way of God, the way of Jesus. It is the best way to live. It is sure. It is true. It is pleasurable. It is valuable. It is rewarding. It is everything good. So we move from sun to God's statutes about how to live. Then his next thing is he moves to sin, dealing with sin. Because as he's looking at creation, he's realizing there is a perfect God. This is a perfect God. And he realizes he is not perfect. And so he says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sins. Then he moves on to this desire for significance. He realizes that... If God has done all of this to communicate to me, to reveal himself to me, then there is something incredibly significant about my life. Oh, I want to get it right. And so he prays, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the next time you are out in nature, Maybe you can take it a little bit deeper beyond, wow, that looks cool. Maybe give some thought as to why that looks so cool. Maybe give some thought as to what the designer is trying to communicate to you. You might realize that the ways of God are are perfect. And you might realize that you've been kind of doing your own thing. And maybe there would be a moment where you would say, God, I'd like to get this right. I'd like to turn this ship around because I can see that you are the master creator. You are the master designer. And I want to follow in your way. I want to do it the way that you would have me do. May 
the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, may the actions that I take, the way that I live, may it please you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to be truthful in our pursuit of truth. We would be really careful about being dogmatic about how the universe was created because we weren't there. You've given us a tiny glimpse. But Father, at the same time, help us to be fully confident in who you are, in how you've created us, in why you've created us. And may we seek you with all that we are because your statutes are like honey. They are sweet. They are rewarding. Help us, Lord, find and know that reward. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Mikey has a couple of announcements, and then I'll have you guys stand, and we'll close together. Good morning, Awaken. It's Mo from the Mo and Joe Show, and I have a, just a few announcements for you. Uh, but as you guys know, my job here changes every week. This week, uh, we're a little tight on cash, so we're, we're trying out different revenue streams. So we're, we're starting up an all-you-can-eat communion buffet. So <laughs> let us know if you're interested in that. We'll have it set up after the service. Uh, talk to Levi for more details on that. In all seriousness, though, we've got the connection card, as always. If you don't know what the connection card is, it's right outside there at the Welcome Center. That's where you can get signed up to learn about all the fun events that we've got going on here, like the fire starter, which I forgot the date, but it's not up there. Okay, do you know what date the fire starter starts? End of May. Yep, perfect. I left my notes out there. I apologize, but fire starter's coming up. That's uh, kind of your alternative to... Not an alternative, but in addition to our Sunday uh, morning services, it's going to be a Wednesday evening service. And so if you're going to be out of town on the weekends, this is a great chance to come catch up with the church. We know that a lot of you guys get out during the summer. But in all reality, we really need volunteers for that. And I know we talk about volunteers a lot, but we really are in need of volunteers for that. So if you'd like to lead a chat, we'd love to have you. And what that would look like is you just have a little group around your fire, and you're leading, you're, you're giving out the questions, and you're just inviting people in and creating that community that we're always talking about here. And with that, I'm going to pass it back to Levi. Here you go. Mike is in charge of our... Yeah. He's in charge of wildlife, which is our junior high ministry. And they do, a, it seems like they do, or he personally does a lot of dart wars. I'm not sure. I guess those aren't darts. Nerf. And I'm always cleaning up after him around the church. It's like having a fourth child. If you guys would please stand. Uh, from Second Thessalonians uh, 2... 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. 
please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.